Well, good morning, church. <laughs> good morning. Muggy, muggy morning. Hey, uh, name is Brandon Ziski, the lead pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. If you're a guest visiting with us this morning, glad to have you. We want to let you know that we're a church that simply strives to be all about Jesus because we believe to our, to our core that when you engage him and when you encounter him, he changes everything. Um, real quick, I want you to just to make note of this in your phones and your calendars, and I want you to do all that you can to make sure that you are here um, on May 28th. I know that's a holiday weekend, and I know that like school is in theory done that Thursday or Friday prior, and I know that you know trips and all that kind of stuff happen. But I really want to encourage you to be here May 28th. It's going to be a Dream Sunday where we partner with Abra Canoe Life to talk about sponsoring. Kids. Kids. Pastor Charles will be here preaching on the 28th, and uh, Alana Linka will be back with us leading worship as well on the 28th, and we're going to hear all that God is doing, specifically at the church in Nagatari, which is where the new church is being planted, and the children that we will have an opportunity to sponsor at the Lord Leads will be the children in the town of Nagatari. So if you go on the next trip with us to Rwanda, you'd be able to visit your sponsored children, which is truly an eye-opening experience. And so I want to encourage you, May 28th, be here. And I believe that God's going to do some really sweet things in our midst. Um, but before we get into the message this morning, um, I want to do something that's a little out of the norm. And, and I'm not like trying to be dramatic, but it's a reality. I was reminded this morning that our battle is not against flesh and blood but it's against powers and principalities, that there is really a spiritual war that's being waged in our midst. And anytime we advance the gospel forward or anytime the Lord is at work, the enemy wants to come in opposition to that. And so, like this morning, I'm not being dramatic, nor am I looking for any kind of special attention or anything like that. This morning, literally at 10.15 a.m., my iPad crashes and all of my edits and my notes vanished. It's a good thing I have my original draft, but it's not edited or proofread or cut. So we could be here for three hours. Like, we don't know. But as I was thinking about it, it was like every time I tried to prep for this message this week, something, something would always get in the way. And it was like super distracting where I couldn't even focus on the message. And so that tells me a few things. It tells me that one, I believe God is at work in our church. And I believe that there are some of you here this morning that God needs to speak to and you need to hear this and that the enemy does not want you to hear this, okay? And not being dramatic, nor am I being like circumstantial and coincidental. I believe that the enemy works diligently against the spirit of God. And so as we approach the text this morning, I want to pray and I want to encourage you to pray with me, pray that... Like, God speaks through me, okay? Like, because I'm at this place of, like, weakness. I'm like, okay, Lord, you know what you're doing. And so as we come to the text this morning, I just want to encourage you right now, where you're at, just, just pray with me, join me in faith as we come together to hear from the Lord. Father, I thank you that um, you are alive and active. I'm thankful for the reminder this morning that the light has come into this world and the darkness has not and cannot overcome it. That he who is within you is greater than he who is in the world. Lord, you are strong to save. And as we look at the story, it really is a story of people witnessing and testifying 
to your goodness and your greatness and to the reality of who you are. Father, I pray for our hearts this morning. You know where your children are at. You know exactly what they need to hear. And God, I pray against any demonic force, any darkness that's coming against them, coming against us as a church. We pray that in the name of Jesus, that you would remove it, you would cast it out, and that your spirit would speak clearly to our hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. We're in this new series called Questions That Need Answers. And the idea behind this series is actually rather simple, but yet important because we tend to think of like, okay, I got this question. I have this question. I want God to answer this question. And here's my list of questions that I want to ask God when I get to heaven and all that kind of stuff. But actually what we need to realize is that Jesus actually asks his disciples, he asks the crowds, he asks the religious people, he asks Roman uh, people of power questions, and those questions are still relevant today for us. They're questions that are so important that they will directly affect the trajectory of your life now and forever. But I know, I know, I know, like we have so many questions that we want to ask God. In fact, I was just talking to my littlest one, Addie, just a few weeks ago, and she was just like, I want to ask God this question. I was like, oh, sweet. You know, I'm like, the Lord's moving in her heart. I wonder what profound things she's going to want to know. She's like, I'm going to ask God, why did he create mosquitoes? And I went, amen, sister. I was just like, yeah, like, what's the deal with that? You know, but like, but I know like we have like, like hard questions and I don't want us, and I don't want you to feel like I'm downplaying those questions that we have that are hard and that sometimes like we don't hear an answer from God. But I have grown convinced that if we were to think carefully and answer honestly the questions that Jesus asked us, we will find peace and purpose in the midst of those difficult questions. That's important. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to look at five specific questions, even though there are a plethora of questions that Jesus asked. And yes, I said plethora for those three Amigo fans. See, I don't have, my edits are gone. You know, like these five questions are going to be absolutely important for us to answer. Jesus has this profound way of asking the right question in the right context at the right time in order to peel back the layers of our hearts. And his questions demand us to be honest, to be real, to be authentic. His questions actually require us to have courage to go to those places that he wants us to go to. I'm telling you, when we do, uh, like think through these questions that he asks, we will actually find ourselves moving towards peace, moving towards joy, freedom, love, because what we are going to discover that in our pursuit of answering them, we'll be always moving towards Jesus. They go to the deep parts of our hearts. They assess the desires. They assess the longings. They pull all of that back, and they reveal to us our present state of being in our heart, our condition, where we are at. In fact, the passage that we're going to look at this morning in John chapter 1, starting with verse 26 through 38, we're going to see the very first question that Jesus asked. In fact, it's the very first words that the, the apostle John writes in this gospel, and it's framed up this way. John 1, verse 26. I baptized with water, John the Baptist answered, Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. 
He is the one that comes after me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. And all of this happens in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. So I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And so when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, question one, what are you looking for? That's the question that we're going to wrestle with this morning. In fact, this is the question that has been haunting humanity from the very beginning. Regardless if you are a believer in God or an atheist, everybody asks this question. Everybody's life is a reflection of our pursuit in trying to answer that question. It gnaws at us in the middle of the night. What am I doing? What am I going after? Really, why am I doing this? It's that question that like hits you like a Mack truck as you're driving home from work, sitting in traffic at the Y. Like, what am I doing with my life? It's the question that influences our relentless pursuit of finding meaning, pursuing pleasure, and giving purpose to our existence. What are you looking for? It's the root of our craving for the next best thing. I gotta have, I gotta have, gotta have. Why? It's why social media, specifically platforms like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, has become the gravitational pull or the epicenter of so many people's lives. I gotta have people like me. I gotta have people notice me. I need them to give the thumbs up. I need to follow people. I need to agree with this and not agree with it. And we find ourselves in this, honestly, this is true, a narcissistic feedback loop where we feel like we have to constantly keep one-upping other what we did yesterday or what someone else is doing so that we get validation and recognition. What are you looking for? Stephen Hawking, who was one of the most brilliant and influential cosmologists and astrophysicists, wrote in his book called A Brief History of Time, his gnawing angst to this question. He writes this, even if there is only one positive unified theory for life, speaking of a scientific formula. It is just a set of rules and equations. I love this line. What is it that breathes fire into the equation and makes a universe for them to describe? The usual scientific approach of con constituting a mathematical model cannot answer the question of why there should be a universe for the model to even describe. Why does the universe go to all the bother of existing? Stephen Hawking, he died an atheist. But yet, this question gnawed at him. 
fascinating. We can have science and models and all the theories in the world, but they cannot answer where the fire comes that drives us in this pursuit of trying to find meaning and purpose. So what are you looking for? Like, think about this, because this question should even rattle the hearts of the religious. Like, like, why are you here? Like, why did you come to church? Like, why do people flock to people in the scriptures to listen to them? Like, what is it? What's stirring them up? What are they driving for? So listen, like, I, I have something absolutely profound to share with you, okay? I know something that's true of every single one of you in this room this morning. You all made a decision to be here. Gotcha, Stephen Hawking. <laughs> no, like seriously, why? Why did you make that decision? What are you looking for? This question has to be addressed. We have to answer it because the reality is your soul is at stake. This question is like the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland. Like the more you think on it, the more you process it, the more you actually approach it in authenticity and humility, the more you will discover the depths of your brokenness in your heart. This is why this is important. Where do you spend your money? What fills up your calendar, your schedule? Look at your browsing history. Look at your secrets, your obsessions. What makes you jealous, mad, sad, happy? Ask yourself the question of your motives behind your use of social media. Why do you post it? Why do you like certain posts? Why do you take so many selfies? What are you looking for? And here's the twist. And what does Jesus have to do with that question? So let's start, shall we, into this passage and dive deep into the heart of this. John's gospel starts, verses 1 through 18, almost like the most epic movie trailer ever or like the, the epic like Lord of the Rings prologue before the story starts to unfold. He starts out right in the beginning, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and all things were created through God, and in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. Light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. It's like a foreshadowing of the crucifixion and resurrection. And then we get this character, John the Baptist. He's a wild man. And he came as a witness to testify or to prepare people for the way of God. To reveal what God is about to do. Why? Why? Because he wants people to believe that the word, the one whose life is the light of all people, he's coming into this world. And he came to the world that he created, and yet his creation didn't recognize him. But to all who did receive him or recognize him, who believed in his name, he gave the right for them to become children of God. So God became man. He took on flesh and he lived among us, full of grace and truth. And no one has ever seen God. But if you see him, you see God coming soon to a theater near you. <laughs> Story one comes. And it's John the Baptist preparing the way for this one. Like this prologue, this setup should make you kind of go, I want to know more. I want to know, is this, is this guy the one? Like, I want to know, like, will I recognize him or will I miss him? 
Like I, I get this hunger inside of me that wants to pursue this. And so then we see this story unfold. In verse 26, John's being interrogated by the religious elites. Like, why are you preaching this message? And why are you out here? And why are you baptizing people? And he simply says, I baptize with water. And yet there's someone who's among us that you don't know. I came to prepare the way. Like, I'm not worthy to even untie his sandal. Then the next day, Jesus shows up. Either he was passing by or he wanted to hear whatever John was going to preach. And he says, as he sees Jesus coming, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one I've been telling you all about few things. We don't know how long John's been preaching this. Like, we have no idea how long this crowd has been there. This story we're reading comes after Jesus' baptism because he said, like, I know it's him because I was told that the one to come will have the spirit fall and rest on him. And I saw that happen to Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I, as I read this, and I'm going, this is rather fascinating because I'm like, I know that John is related to Jesus. How can John say in this passage, I did not know him? Like, was John like saying like, yeah, we're related, but we never met? which is highly unlikely because Mary and Elizabeth lived really close together. So for sure they interacted. John surely knew Jesus, but what John was actually saying is rather simple. I did not know that Jesus was the one. I've known him for 30 years. I did not know that until the spirit fell on him. And it had confirmed the sign that God gave me. He's the one. John needed God to reveal who Jesus was. Just like the crowd needs Jesus to be revealed to them for who he is. Just like we need God to reveal to us who Jesus is. Like think about it for a moment. Like the people in this crowd, I'm sure because it's a small town. Like I grew up in a small town where everybody knows everybody and knows everybody's story and family secret. Like there's no doubt that there's some people in this crowd that knew who Jesus was. Maybe some people in the crowd even had Jesus build them a table or something. Like he lived, he's from Nazareth for 30 years. Now you're telling me he's the one, the Messiah that we've been looking for? And why did you call him a lamb? No one's looking for a lamb. It's fascinating. Here's what I want to say. We have to be careful of presuming upon Jesus our opinions of who he is. We need to be careful of thinking we know who Jesus is on our own. But the reality is, as we see in this passage, we need to allow God to reveal to us who he is as he is. And it's fascinating because John's use of the title Lamb of God had to have been absolutely shocking to them. Because they were looking for a Messiah that would be setting up a kingdom, sitting as the king of Israel and pushing Rome out. Like, that's what they were looking for, not the Lamb of God. Fascinating. So for 35, 
comes because it's the next day. John was standing with two of his disciples, and we know them to be Andrew and John, the apostle who wrote this gospel. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus passing by, which tells us that, like, Jesus was just walking on a trail. He wasn't meaning to stop by and listen to what John was saying. He saw Jesus in the distance and shouted out again, there he is. Behold, look to him. See him. Understand who he is. Go after him. He is the Lamb of God. Pay attention to him. John knows his purpose was to simply to prepare the way for Jesus to come. Not to build his own platform or his own ministry. He would say sooner after this, I must decrease, he must increase. Go to him. He's the one. He's the one. Pay attention to him. I want us to really grab hold of this. Jesus is being revealed as the Lamb of God, which I know that they weren't looking for, and I know it's not necessarily what we are looking for either. But it's what we need, and it's what they need. Because if you were Jewish in this story, you knew exactly the symbolism connected to a lamb. Significant. It was such a significant aspect of their worship from the very beginning. You go back to Genesis chapter 22, starting with Abraham, who was the father of our faith. Like he was told that he would be a father of many nations and that all nations would be blessed through him. And now he's old and he's not having a child. But God's like, no, listen, I'm going to give you a child through you and your wife, Sarah, even though you're like super old and beyond the ability to have kids. It's going to happen. And so when that happens, he has his child, Isaac, and you would think that like he would want to protect him at all costs. And then God said, I want you to uh, sacrifice Isaac to me. It was a test of faith. In Genesis 22, verse 7, like Isaac has no clue. He's like, hey, dad, I got the, the wood, we got the donkey, we got all the stuff, we're going to go up there, but where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide the lamb. And so just before Abraham was about to sacrifice his son Isaac, God intervened and he provided a lamb. The lamb shows up in the story of the Passover, in the story of Exodus, when Pharaoh would not let his people go. It took 10 plagues, and the last plague was one that was going to kill all the firstborn in the land. And God told Israel that if they were to sacrifice a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost, that the angel of death would pass over them and that all in the house would live. And so from then on, they celebrated this. They reenacted it called the Passover. A lamb has a significant aspect. And that God gives them an instruction on how to properly worship him. They give uh, the Israel the template for the tabernacle and eventually the temple. And then they talk about the sacrifices that are needed. And then they talk about the offering of atonement. Where a father, the head of a family, would take a pure and spotless lamb once a year, carrying his arms up the hill as a representative of the family. Give it to the priest, lay down the altar. And as the priest would slit the throat of the lamb, the father would place his hand on that innocent lamb's head as a symbol of laying all of their family's sins on that lamb. The lamb was dying in their place. 
in the covering of the lamb's blood was the forgiveness of their sin. It's all a foreshadow to Jesus. They were told this over and over in their scriptures. Just read Isaiah 53. You would see, again, how one, the one, the Messiah, is going to be slaughtered like a lamb. Look, here's the lamb of God. And he's going to take away the sin of the world. The people in that crowd, is this what they're looking for? Is this what you're looking for? Like, why did you come here? Did you look for a lamb? Like, most Americans think when they hear the lamb of God, they think of a cute, cuddly lamb that God the Father is somehow holding and petting. I don't know why I'm doing that. But, but it's not a real pleasant picture. So let's jump back into the story. Verse 37. As John declares, look, the lamb of God Two of his disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. They believed in what John the Baptist said, enough for them to move towards Jesus. And as the text says, they follow Jesus. But this isn't like, like, I believe in Jesus or like I'm a follower of Jesus type of follow. This is more of a, I am sneaking behind Jesus at a distance because I'm curious. Like, I really don't know if I want him to notice me, but I'm going to follow at a distance. And I love this picture because so many of us, let's be honest, are very much like Andrew and John here. Like, we, we don't, like, want to be all in. We don't want to be like the crazy church people. In fact, we don't even want God to notice that we're actually curious. Because I don't want my pride to be offended. So I'm going to kind of, like, sneak in and just see what's he all about. What is he really like? Is it true? Is it not true? I love this picture so much because, like, there's so much in me. I'm just like, how long did Jesus let them do this? Like, really? Like, like Jesus knew that they were following him for sure. Like, did John and Andrew, like, think they're, like, really being sneaky? Like, I mean, it's just, like, stalker feel. Like, they're following, sorry, like, they're following him from a, pitch, uh, from a distance. Like, we do this now on Facebook. We actually don't, like, stalk people in real life, right? But that's the picture we get, it's, it's really beautiful. This is what it like, kind of means to be awakened to the reality of Jesus. There's something that there, starts to churn in your heart, a curiosity, where like Romans says that like faith, or uh, Romans 4 says, like, or somewhere in Romans, sorry. Faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. Like there's something that's stirring in their minds as John has been preparing them and been pointed to Jesus. He's the one. And so their mind was engaged and their hearts started to long for it. And so they moved towards Jesus. When our minds begin to seek after the truth, after God, our hearts, our hearts start to wake up. And it longs to find an answer to the question, what are we looking for? What are we looking for? And eventually Jesus helps them out. He, he stops and turns around, and they needed that. They needed Jesus to stop and interrupt this whole process. And quite honestly, this is what we need too. We need Jesus to meet us where we are at. Like, what are you looking for? Like, I love this question. This is a great question. But I oftentimes wonder, who's really looking for who here? 
Like, is John and Andrew the ones who are looking for God, or is God actually the one looking for them? Like, Romans 3, there's Romans 3, I told you it was coming. It tells us clearly that no one, no one seeks God. No one seeks God, but our hearts long for something that can be only found in God, so we're in pursuit of stuff, we're in pursuit of trying to find meaning, but we're not in pursuit of Jesus. He actually pursues us. God is always the divine initiator. It always starts with him first. Always. That's what it said about him. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came as the Lamb of God to save us from our sins. But if you go even back to the Garden of Eden, because John 1 is a, kind of like an echo of Genesis in the Garden, when like God created Adam and Eve, they're in there, they ate of the fruit, they sinned, and all of a sudden their eyes opened up, they hid, they hid from God, ran away from God, covered in shame. Well, who started to look for who? I mean, Adam and Eve didn't put like fig leaves on and go, okay, we got to find God now. God came to them and asked them this question, where are you? Where are you? It's very similar to the question, what are you looking for? Fascinating how John is doing this. He initiates Jesus knows they're following him. He knows they're curious and they want to know more. So he meets them halfway. I love this because there is no other God in human history that is like this. Like, just think about this. All the other religions teach and propagate a teaching that says you got to do this or that. You got to be good enough in order for God to recognize you. You gotta do, you gotta get to him. God won't stop and turn around and meet you in the middle of the road. Nope, nope, you gotta be good. You gotta do good, and then eventually, maybe, maybe, he'll notice. No, the God of the Gospels is not a God who hides himself from us. He's not a God who keeps himself at a distance from us. He's not waiting for us to catch up to him, not even close. He's the one, because he's full of grace and truth, he will stop and take the initiative to meet us where we are at. Why? I want you to take this truth and drill it into your heart. Because God loves us for who we are and not as we should be. That's grace. But he also loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay the way we are. God doesn't hide. He doesn't separate. It's not, it's us, we're the ones who do that. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to make a way for us. He came to reconcile us. He came to ask us this important question. What are you looking for? These are the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and it is no mistake. What are you looking for? Jesus asked this question, friends, not just in this passage, but he's asking it to you this morning. What are you looking for? And he's asking you because he wants you, he wants you to articulate what it is that you really want. Not the Sunday school flannel graph answer. He wants you to think about this. He wants you to look at your life 
He wants you to assess all of the paths and all of the things that you've been chasing to find purpose and meaning. He wants you to see that they're all dead ends. He wants you to notice that they're all empty, all vain. Like the writer of Ecclesiastes says in his pursuit of wisdom and knowledge and money and accumulation and women. And it's all vanity. It's all vanity. It's all empty. He wants you to articulate that. And he's patient in it. He's not expecting you to answer it in the moment, which is great. Like, as I were, was reading this, I, I had to pretend. I was like, okay, I don't know the next line. I don't know what John and Andrew are going to say to this question. So let me guess what I think they would say if they heard this. In other words, what would I say is the reality. My, my answer would be probably something like this. Are you the Messiah? Are, are you the one? Like, what, like what, what did John mean by you being a lamb? That's kind of weird. Like, what, what does John mean by, like, you will forgive our sins because only God can forgive sins and we have to, like, spill the blood of animals for forgiveness of sins. Like, what is he talking about? But that's not what they said. And what they said at first glance is super weird. They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? <laughs> like, that's how I read it. I'm like... Where are you sleeping? Like, like every time I read that, I'm always like, it's like that part where you just got busted. And you're like, you're, or you're like someone important, you know, important quote, like catches you doing something. You're like, what are you doing? You're like, uh, I don't know. I do. And you say something dumb. You're like, why did I say that? Like that's the feel I get here with this. It's like Jesus turns around. What are you looking for? Where are you staying? It's profound, actually. Because what they're saying is so culturally loaded that we read it like that. We're like, ha, silly guy. But the reality is there's something profound. And we find our answer into the meaning of that statement by the fact how they addressed him. Rabbi. And so culturally speaking, when they would say a disciple to be would say, where are you or staying? What they're saying is this. We have so much that we want to ask you. We have so much that we want to know. We want to know where are you going. We want time with you. We want to stay with you for a while. We want to have conversations with you. We want to learn from you. We want to know more. They didn't just say, hey, Jesus, can we just take a quick selfie here so that way people know we are with the Lamb of God? Like they didn't just want to have a small talk thing and be like, hey, we met Jesus. Woo. They were like, no, where are you staying? In other words, this is so good. They were saying, we want to remain with you. Or it's the same phrase that Jesus says, we want to abide with you. That's what they're saying. What are you looking for? They don't really know, but they know enough that it's probably going to be found here. So they're like, we just want to be with you. We, we, we don't really know. But there's something... I can't explain it, but we're, we want to stay with you. Can we do that? And I love Jesus' answer. Come, and you will see. Not come, and you're going to see where we're sleeping tonight. But come, you will see or discover or find the answers to what you're looking for. And here's the beauty. The answer to this question, there's only one answer to this question. What are you looking for? 
The answer is Jesus. But we don't know that until we actually follow him. You can't know that by being a fan of Jesus. You can't know that by clicking like and saying, now I follow Jesus. I just observe, I see his posts, all these things. No, it's like you, you have to be with him 24-7, walk with him, learn from him, listen to him. They didn't get it, but they knew enough to just go with him. This is what we call a faith journey called discipleship. Come and you will see. Come on, remain with me. Abide with me. And then there's the promise, you will see. He's promising you will find the answer that you're looking for. I will give you, you will see the answer to this question, and it's going to be me. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the light of the world. I am the one who will bring you life. So friends, what are you looking for? I found myself thinking about that question and then I went back into my past and I started asking myself the questions of what, what was I looking for in these stages of life? I grew up a religious kid, meaning I went to a church, a traditional church. I didn't go because I wanted to. I went because if I didn't go, I was in trouble. I went to a Lutheran school. If I didn't go to church, I was going to get detention or something like that, you know, so I had to go to church, all this kind of stuff. And I hated it, hated it, hated it, hated it, because the people I met in that church did not look or love like Jesus. And it was just like, this, this is not it. I didn't want it. Like, and I didn't think that religion had any answers to any of the longings in my heart, all that kind of stuff. And so I found myself running after multiple angles, multiple avenues, multiple roads to try to find the answer to that question. What are you looking for? Is it sports? I'll put myself all into sports. Is it being popular with all the people? I'll put myself in the middle of the party scene. Is it finding meaning and validation because you're not getting love at home that you got to find it from other people? So I put myself in all sorts of different relationships and all sorts of contexts and every single one did bring joy for a moment. But when it was over, it was catastrophe. Over and over and over and over. Then God stopped in the middle of the road. He let me follow at a distance for some time. Then he said, all right, Brandon, what do you want? And he asked me that question at the end of my freshman year in college when everything broke down in my life suicidal, blew up my shoulder, trying to get, you know, free from alcoholism and all the stuff that was all attached to my life and I couldn't do it. And I was ready to end my life. And then God pursued me aggressively and asked me that question in a very symbolic way. And I found myself answering this question, what do I want? I don't want this anymore. <laughs> like, I don't know what I want, to be honest with you, Jesus. I don't know. Because I felt like I already tried you, and it was like, like, but then he's just like, come, gently, just follow me, and you'll, you'll see. And as I've been journeying with Jesus, I found the answer is Jesus. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart, which is first and foremost a relationship with Jesus.
But this isn't just for like first time believers. Because there's some of us in this room who've followed Jesus, but over time maybe have like grown cold or grown indifferent or our hearts got persuaded into something else and we're pursuing down a different avenue that we're going to eventually hit the dead end. We're just more of like Facebook followers of Jesus at this point. We do church, but we really aren't following Jesus. We really aren't in love with Jesus. Our heart's cold, maybe bitter, resentful, and all that kind of stuff. And then you think about coming back to him and he's just like, nope, God's done with me. Or maybe you had expectations of God and he's failed you from your perspective. Because the God of the Bible cannot fail you. And I remember a story. When I was in ministry, newlywed, feeling frustrated with how God isn't performing in my life. He's not acting in my life. The ministry's not going the way I want. Provision's not happening the way I want. I need to provide more. And I'm growing very bitter, cold, calloused. I don't want to be in ministry more. I am done with him all this kind of stuff. And I had to go speak that day at a college worship event in a different town. I didn't want to go. I told my wife, she knows the condition of my heart. She's like, God will be with you. He's faithful. He's good. I was like, all that kind of stuff. And I go, no offense. I didn't do that. I was actually more loving. I know, hon. You know, all I go there, show up early. I don't pray with the team. I don't pray with the worship. I don't talk to anybody. I'm, I'm like mad. I go, I, I leave. I, I left. I walked to the Mississippi River. It's a fall, cold day in Minnesota. You don't know what those are like, freezing. And I knew nobody would be outside. I wanted to be alone, away from everyone. So I'm sitting there by the Mississippi River. I'm not praying. I'm not reading scripture. I'm not thinking about going back. I'm just like, I'm done. And then I hear this shuffling. I look behind me, I see this old man coming towards me. He's got like the old English hat on, he's walking with a cane. And I'm like, oh, please, Lord, I start praying. (laughs) May he not sit by me. There's a whole river here, anywhere is yours. He he hobbles to me and it sits down right next to me. I don't even give him attention. I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm mad. I'm like, really, God, really? And then he starts asking me questions. What are you doing here? What's your name? And I, and I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to be honest. And I just, all on him. He's like, so what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor, but not for long. He's like, why? And then he just, he just looked at me. He's like, you can't quit. You can't quit. God's not done. The people need you. Don't quit. All the while, the dude's puffing on a big old cigar. I may have been joining him. That's up to you. And, um, <laughs> and he looked just like Winston Churchill. No joke. After he said that, he got up and walked away. I called my wife. I'm like, honey, I think God just met me. And she's like, no way. And I was just like, what? What? Do you, what, what? She's like, I was just praying right now that God would meet you and send an angel to encourage you. And I'm like, get out of here. I don't know if it was an angel or not. But I'm like, I'm a student of history. Winston Churchill's one of my favorite people. And all of a sudden, like, out of nowhere, this happens and encourages me in ministry. I'm like, God saw me. 
He turned around to meet me where I was at, to ask me the question, after years of following Jesus, discouraged, to ask me the same question he asked me when I said yes to Jesus the first time. What are you looking for? And I had to be like, I'm so sorry, Lord. It wasn't you. And I had to confess. Return to me, my love, for you, Jesus. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Friends, I'm telling you, if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just start following him out of curiosity. Because I promise you, he will turn and catch you in the middle of the road and just ask you a gentle question. What are you looking for? He's not going to force you or expect you to have the right answer. I mean, imagine like Jesus going, hey, what are you looking for? Where are you staying? Wrong answer. Peace. Like, that's not what he did. He's like, oh, you, you want to stay with me? Cool, come on. Just come and you'll see. It's going to take time. It took three years plus. Follow him at a distance because I promise you, you're going to discover the answer to that question. And when you find the answer to that question, now you have to decide what to do with that. And we're praying as a church that you will receive him as he is the son of the living God who died for your sins because he loves you. And for some of you in this room, you, you, you've maybe have grown cold, callous, walked away and turned this all back into religion. And you're here because you know it's the right thing to do, but you're just like, mm. and you're feeling that conviction in your heart. Like, yep, I went down the wrong road and Jesus is not what I'm looking for. Maybe you slipped into using Jesus for your own advantage and gain. This is a great morning for you to simply say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. I repent. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust and believe that you are the desire of my heart. Absolutely important. As we worship him, it's this beautiful tension of his holiness and his love. And he's done it all. He's made a way for you to be able to be in his presence, to be reconciled in a relationship with him again. As we come to the communion table, we're going to worship a bit. And during this time, I want to encourage you just to prepare your hearts. I want you to think about this question and answer this question wherever you are at, what are you looking for? Answer that question. Be honest, be courageous, and answer that question. He's gracious enough to be inviting you here this morning to meet you right in that midst. And some of you right now are like in a great place with their Lord. You're like, man, I just want Jesus. Let's roll. Listen, then you need to walk out of here and be like John the Baptist. You need to recognize when Jesus is passing by in other people's lives and point to him. Hey, you see Jesus here? Look at him. He's in your life. Look at him. He's trying to get at you. Go to him. You need to play that role and help people go to Jesus so they can find the answer to that question in him. So I want to encourage you, spend this time wrestling with the Lord as we worship and we pray and we'll come back together to take the elements. And if you don't have this right now, the, the, 
the cup. I want to encourage you, just go, it's okay, just get up, go back, grab one. You know, I would even encourage you to even like pull back the wrapper now. So it's not like the, and here's the body thing. Like, so let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> Jesus, I pray for this time, God, that your spirit would meet us. Lord, I want to pray for anybody in this room who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, who may be at a dead end right now, maybe feeling the collateral damage of their choices, or maybe they're in hot pursuit of some idol and they're about to crash into a dead end. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes to who you are, that you would awaken their hearts to the reality of Jesus. And if there's any of you that wants to say yes to Jesus, to start following him, even out of curiosity, even just moving a little bit towards him, I want to encourage you during this song to come up to me up here. I would love to talk with you and pray with you. Lord, I also want to pray for my brothers and sisters here who may need to simply return. And God, I ask that your spirit would minister to them and ask them, exactly what they're looking for and you would show them through your grace and your truth where their heart is. God, I pray that your spirit would convict of sin, lead us to life. May we not fall into the trap of the enemy to get us caught in shame and guilt and accusation because that's not why you asked the question. So Lord, I pray that there's beautiful repentance happening now. So Lord, would you speak, would you minister to us?